Good morning. Um, it is good to be with you. We are uh, on our last week of our Epiphany sermon series, Incarnation. Uh, the Word became flesh in Jesus, so the Word can become flesh in us. Um, and as we start, um, as I was preparing, uh, thinking about the scripture for this week, uh, it reminded me of just an experience I had, probably one of the most important experiences of, of my life in terms of forming me, uh, honestly, to help me with ministry. Um, but some of you know this. I was a, uh, what's called a, a rider coach, R-I-D-E-R, motorcycle rider coach. I taught beginning motorcycle rider safety courses for, was it five or six years? Um, and the components of these classes, some of you may have even taken, did anybody ever take a, a BRC, a beginner rider course? And awesome. Uh, a few folks over here too. So one of the components of that is classroom. So like half the class in the classroom, we got books and we've got um, videos you have to watch and we kind of talk through. It's not rules of the road type of stuff, it's, it's safety, it's how to make the bike move and stop, but it's beyond that. It's like how to keep people from running you over, um, how to make sure your tire doesn't go flat while you're riding, that, those types of things. Um, so a big portion of the class, about half of it, is in the classroom. But then the other half is on a place we call the range. And so ranges can vary. Um, I, there's a, a, a safety range over, um, let me get my bearings, over at Harper Creek High School, that way, yeah. Um, their parking lot, sometimes you'll see some bikes out there and there'll be safety going on. There's, if you went and looked, you'll see some lines painted in the parking lot that are kind of weird, maybe curves and dots and stuff. Um, the range that I taught primarily on was at the Greater Kankakee Airport um, in, in Kankakee. And we used a little piece of pavement all, kind of off the side of the main runway. Um, but uh, that's where I taught motorcycle safety for five or six years primarily. And when you went out to the range, um, I would go out with one other coach and there would be 12, up to 12, new beginner riders on motorcycles. Now in the classroom, talking to 12 people is pretty easy. We're all sitting around tables, kind of looking forward, kind of like y'all are looking at me right now. Like talking to you guys is relatively easy. But when we got out on a range, trying to instruct people, and they could be a couple hundred feet away on a motorcycle, surrounded by other motorcycles, and then throw in the added bonus of doing this at an airport where jets would come in and out, or helicopters, or planes, being able to communicate to the students was, was absolutely a challenge. I, we had people that would get upset because they're like, quit yelling at me. I'm like, I'm not yelling at you, I'm yelling to you, right? There's a difference. Um, but before we went out onto the range, the last thing we did, we would review nonverbal communications, hand signals, in which if the rider saw me do something, they knew what I was trying to communicate. Because, like I said, communication with, with beginner riders was absolutely critical, especially if you put 12 of them in one spot and have them all moving at the same time. Um, so probably the most important one was something like this, like turn it off, um, you know, something like second gear, uh, squeeze the brakes, right? We had non-verbal communications. Uh, if somebody was 
staring at their front tire, which beginner riders have a tendency to do, just look at the ground. Um, we'd tell them to look where they wanted to go by doing like, turn, look, you want to go that way, turn, look. So we had this whole series of nonverbal communications that we would teach because listening to somebody, hearing, learning, requires the ability to understand what is being communicated. I could have stood out there in the middle of this uh, piece of pavement yelling at these people and they've got their helmets on and their motorcycles going and they wouldn't have heard a word that I said. And that would have been a, a recipe for disaster. Um, listening to someone requires more than just somebody speaking. It requires hearing. Um, and the reality is, and this is kind of what got me thinking about this, is that, that there's a lot of different kinds of voices that are speaking to us today. Uh, some of them are better than others, but if we can't hear them, if we can't understand what they're saying, then it doesn't make a difference. And so today we're going to look at Luke chapter 9. We're going to look specifically at the, the story where uh, it's called the transfiguration of Jesus. Um, and as we look at this, you'll pay careful attention, it would be helpful to pay careful attention to who is speaking and what we're supposed to do about it. Like who, what's the, what's the instructions and how do we hear? Okay. So Luke chapter 9, verses 28 through 36 um, is on the screen there. Uh, it says, now about eight days after these sayings, Jesus took with him Peter, John, and James and went up on the mountain to pray. Oh, hold on. And while he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly they saw two men, Moses and Elijah, talking to him. They appeared in glory and were speaking of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and his companions were weighed down with sleep. But since they had stayed awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. Just as they were leaving him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us make the three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. While he was saying this, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were terrified as they entered the cloud. Then from the cloud came a voice that said, This is my son my chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone, and they kept silent, and in those days told no one of any of the things that they had seen. Uh, pray with me, if you will. Heavenly Father, wondrous spirit, we ask that you gather our minds, that we may be one with you. Open our ears that they may hear your word, soften our hearts, that we may receive your wisdom. Speak to us, for we, your servants, are listening. Amen and amen. All right. Um, Luke chapter 9, uh, we just read a few verses in there. Um, it is a pretty significant uh, chapter in scripture. There's a lot that goes on in this scripture, and to understand what's going on in this moment, because this is kind of a weird situation, right? Like, it, this isn't something that happens every day. Um, it kind of helps to know what's going on in the rest of the chapter, both before and after. Uh, Luke chapter 9 begins with Jesus sending out the 12 disciples. 
He sends them out to go do the works that he has called them and equipped them to do. Verse 2 of chapter 9 says he gave them power and authority to, quote, drive out all demons, to cure diseases, and that he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. That was what he sent them out to do as we start chapter 9. Um, these verses directly after our scripture of Jesus and the disciples coming down from the mountain. Uh, and they encountered somebody who wanted their child healed. Um, but the disciples couldn't do it. The disciples couldn't heal the child. Luke chapter 9 also includes a story where Jesus tells the disciples to feed a large group of people. And the disciples were unable to feed this crowd of 5,000 people. So Jesus ended up doing that as well. The chapter starts with Jesus sending out the disciples, telling them they have the power to cure diseases, to heal, to cast out demons, to work miracles, to do the things that Jesus has taught them and empowered them to do. He sends them out with that authority. And after our scripture today, you see that they haven't been able to do it. They couldn't heal the child. They couldn't feed the hungry. They couldn't cast out demons. The chapter starts with Jesus sending them out and the power to heal and perform miracles, and yet twice already in this chapter, they were unable to do what Jesus called them to do. And not only were they unable to do these miracles, but chapter nine also includes a story where somebody else, some man that they didn't know, was out casting out demons, and the disciples stopped him because, quote, he wasn't one of us. So not only were they not able to do the thing that Jesus told them to do, they saw somebody else doing it and stopped them. It's not going so well for the disciples. And then, after Jesus tells them that he is going to be killed, he teaches them kind of what the future holds for him, they start to argue over who amongst them is the greatest. Right? Their response to hearing that Jesus is going to die is, who's the most important disciple? And then, because it keeps going, Luke chapter 9 is a fun chapter, then a Samaritan village refused to welcome the disciples, and the disciples' response to not being welcomed was, they asked Jesus if they could call down fire from above to destroy the village. Luke 9 is not the disciples' best moment. <laughs> it's not going well for them. It also tells us there's a lot of confusion about who Jesus was. Right, as you read through Luke 9, you, and if you've been following this whole time with the Epiphany series, you'll, you'll see that uh, the foundation of these messages, of, uh, kind of the core question of what we've been studying is, who is Jesus, and what is he up to, and what is he trying to do in and through us, right? But the, question, the first question is, who is Jesus? And we see in Luke 9 and, and the surrounding places that nobody seems to get this right either. The miracles and the teachings point us to an understanding of who Jesus is. When Jesus was baptized, right? Remember back to that story of the baptism of Jesus. The voice from heaven declares, Jesus is my son. I am well pleased with him, right? And so we've journeyed together these uh, several weeks asking as a church and as individuals, who is Jesus? Who do I believe him to be? And, and we ask that question because, uh, as we see in Luke chapter 9 and other places, uh, people were asking that question too, but they were getting it wrong. Twice in chapter 9, we read that people thought Jesus might be John the Baptist, come back to life, 
after being killed by uh, King Herod for calling him to live a moral life. Saying that powerful rulers should live lives of integrity and godliness, John the Baptist was killed for that. And so some people think it was John the Baptist that comes back. Others thought he might be Elijah. They said, who's this Jesus? Oh, he might be Elijah, like a prophet, uh, whose return had been long expected. Oh, Elijah's come back. That's who we think it is. Maybe he was another prophet from long ago. We don't know. They really didn't know who this Jesus was or what to do with him. Jesus asked Peter at one point, he says, who do you say I am? And famously, Peter declares, you are the Messiah, the anointed, the chosen one of God. A few verses after our scripture text from today, so if you would have kept reading where I stopped, um, a man comes up to Jesus and Jesus calls him to be a follower. And the man says, first let me bury my dad. Now, a lot of scholars uh, have helped me understand this. I've read it several times. Now, what the situation was, the way I understood this story, was the man's dad had just died, and he wanted to go bury them and like, take care of the funeral stuff. But the scholars have helped me, some of the commentaries helped me understand that what he's saying isn't my dad just died, but he's saying, uh, if I leave now, I will lose my place in the family. If I leave now, I am removing myself from the inheritance that I am due. So if you just wait until I bury my father, you wait until that whole process is done. He's, he's dead. I receive my inheritance and take my rightful place as the son in the family. Then I can go do what, what you want me to do. But if I leave now, if I follow you now, if I come after you now, it's going to cost me everything. There's so much happening in this chapter. Chapter 9 of Luke is just jam-packed full of stuff, and it's kind of all over the place. And so if you're trying to figure out what to do with all of these details and all of these stories that I've thrown at you this morning, let me summarize it with two questions. Who is Jesus, and what are we supposed to do with him? These are the two questions that everything is building up to. The last uh, eight weeks in the life of the church is building up to these two questions. Who is Jesus? What are we supposed to do with him? Well, who is Jesus? I think the next slide will help me out here if it's working. God says, he is my son. What are we supposed to do with him? God says, listen to him. Luke 9 is filled with confusion about what Jesus is doing and the inability of the people to do what he's calling them to do. Um, They don't know what to make of him. They don't know what to do with the miracles. They think he might be somebody other than who he is. They're confused by their religious backgrounds, their traditions. They're confused by other people doing religious things. They're confused by the fact that they can't do the miracles that they're supposed to be doing. Luke 9 is just a mess, and, and all this religion and and ex- religious experiences and the transfiguration and all of these things, they, they're like, we don't know who this Jesus is. We don't know what we're supposed to do with him. Peter says he's the Messiah, but not really sure what, what he's supposed to do with that. Some people think he's a prophet. All of this, like, it's just confusion all over the place. And it results from not knowing who Jesus is or what the proper response is to him. And that confusion was a reality for people 2,000 years ago, 
but it can be a reality for us today as well. This can be true today. Now, some of us will wrestle with the idea of Jesus being God's son, um, especially if you're maybe a newer Christian or, or you know, new to the church. You're trying to figure out what does it mean to say that he's God's son? Like, he's not, it's not a biological thing, right? Like, God is spirit, and like, we think about it, it's like, this is confusing. And so we'll wrestle with it. But we'll continue to ask this question that we've been asked throughout this whole season of Epiphany, who is Jesus? And it might seem too far-fetched or too unbelievable. Um, it might just be that you're beginning your journey of faith and haven't made up your mind, or maybe you haven't heard enough about this Jesus to conclude that he's God's son, or maybe yeah, trying to look through the filter of, of the church, trying to look through organized religion, trying to look through denominational you know, fighting and, and all the type of stuff that is Christian culture, maybe trying to look through all that. It's just really confusing. And so you haven't made up your mind yet about who Jesus is. So maybe you've never made that confession that Peter made. Oh, Jesus is the Messiah. He's God's chosen. He's the Savior of the world. And if this is where you're at today, don't stress or be anxious about it. Remember, the disciples followed Jesus for three years. They walked with him. They listened to him teach. They shared meals with him. They saw him perform miracles. They heard his teachings day in, day out. They lived with him day in, day out, and they still had confusion and doubts. There's a moment in scripture, and I I, I love it, after the resurrection, Jesus appears to them, and it says, some believed, yet some doubted. After the resurrection, the resurrected Jesus appears, and some of the disciples are like, eh, I still haven't seen enough yet to believe, right? So if if you're questioning things, like you're in good company. By nature, I'm cynical about things that seem too far-fetched or outside the norm, right? So there's moments when, when as a pastor, I'm studying or just as a follower of Jesus, I'm reading, studying, talking with people about Christianity, and some of it seems hard to believe. There are moments when this whole thing is hard to wrap your minds around. And so I want to encourage you, if, if this is where you're at today, ask questions, seek answers. God will not be offended. Keep asking the question, who is Jesus? Keep asking that question until you feel like you know that answer for yourself. Who is Jesus? Because Jesus' entire mission, the whole purpose of his earthly ministry was to reveal, to make clear to people who God is. That's the whole point, is to to reveal God to the world. So ask who he is, because that's what he's here to do, is to show you who he is. It's not anything out of the ordinary for Jesus to take time with you and to help you come to know him more. This is what he wants. This is what he invites us to do. Honestly, it's why each and every week since September, the sermon has been uh, about the life of Jesus. There's a lot of other things in the Bible that I could be preaching on, uh, but each and every week I've been preaching a story from the life of Jesus. Because we want to get to know Jesus better and although sometimes you do have to take a leap of faith, sometimes it is just a, a moment of trust, taking a step without fully understanding everything, um, Jesus is inviting us to know him more. But for those of us who have at any point um, in our lives had an amount of faith in Jesus. Uh, We've confessed that Jesus is the Son of God. We've confessed that Jesus is Lord. We've come to some conclusion that we can answer the question, 
who is Jesus? The next question that is in front of us, if we've confessed who he is, the next question is, what do we do with him? <laughs> what do we do with Jesus? We, oh, he's the Lord, he's the King, he's the Savior, he's the Messiah, he's the Anointed, he's the Chosen, he's the Long-Awaited, he's the Light in the Dark. What, okay, what do we do with him? God says in our text this week to listen to him. And this is the point of our message today. Listen to him. Listen to his teachings. Listen to the way that he is calling us to live. Listen to the way that he speaks to others. Listen to what he calls and commands you to do. Listen to him. And, and saying that from the pulpit and preaching that today seems kind of silly because it seems kind of simple, right? I mean, the kids over in children's church are probably hearing something similar on a regular basis. Well, listen to Jesus. Just listen to God. Right? It, it's simple. It's, it's, there's not a whole lot of complexity to it. It's pretty straightforward. At least it sounds like a simple thing to do. Oh, yeah, we should just listen to Jesus. And there's some people that will tell you that it's easy. That's been their experience. That's been their testimony. And praise God that that has been their experience and their testimony. Listening to Jesus was easy for them. Some people will say it's simple and straightforward, and maybe for them it is. All I know is that from my own personal experience and from countless conversations with people <laughs> over the years, <coughs> um, very rarely has, has that answering that question, how do I listen to Jesus, been simple and straightforward. The conversation that I have with people by far more than any other conversation as a pastor is what is God saying to me to do? <laughs> I had a few of those conversations already th this morning. <laughs> There's something going on in my life. God might be at work here, but I don't know what God is saying in this moment. What is God's will or what is God's purpose for my life? What is, my, what is even the next step that God wants me to take? People who say this, they're, they're willing to be faithful. They're willing to do what God says. They, they, they've committed. Jesus is my Lord. I'm going to follow him. But the challenge isn't that commitment. It's what is Jesus telling me to do? That's the question I get more often than anything. How do I know what God is calling me to do? I will say yes, but I just need to know what I'm saying yes to do. I'm willing to say yes, but I'm struggling to hear the voice of God, struggling to understand what God is saying So as a pastor or as a friend, when I have these conversations, I find myself responding with the same answer almost every time. I've got kind of a, a regular answer. Uh, I first by saying that just because I'm a pastor, God doesn't give me the answer. <laughs> I wish that was that easy that you could come to me and I'm like, oh, God said to do this. Um, I don't have the answer to their situation, to your situation, just because I have a title um, or a, a college degree or something. And so I get that out front. I'm not easy to provide a, click, a quick, clear, easy answer either. But once we kind of all understand that I'm not in the advice-giving business, this isn't really what I do, um, I reassure them that God is speaking. And through that, while God is speaking, that I will work with them to hear the voice of God. I will affirm that God is calling them forward. God is not hiding from you. God is not playing games. This isn't some, uh, some thing that God does because he's bored and, and wants to mess with you. 
God is speaking. He's calling you forward. He's inviting you to take a next step. So the question comes up, if God is speaking, and God wants us to hear what God is saying, then why do we struggle to hear and understand? The reality is that there's, there's several reasons why it's hard to hear what Jesus is saying to us. There's, there's uh, several reasons why it is not just a simple, easy thing to do what Jesus says. You can start with the fact that Jesus hasn't said a physical word in 2,000 years. So listening to Jesus is not the same thing as like listening to your spouse. It's not the same thing as like listening to your teacher or your boss or your coworker or the people at the grocery store. Listening to Jesus is a different kind of listening. So when we say we have to listen to Jesus, we have to take a different type of attitude towards that listening, a different posture. It's a different practice, it's a different skill. Jesus lived in a different time. He lived in a different culture. Uh, That culture was very different than ours in many significant ways. There are layers of culture that we have to wrestle with. To just even read his words, we've got to dig through time and culture and language. Sometimes Jesus taught in parables, you know, these little stories. And, And there's times in scripture where he admits that he's saying it this way so people don't understand directly. Sometimes it's meant to hide the truth. These parables, these stories required interpretation and work. Jesus' teachings were directed first to his immediate audience. When Jesus, when we see him in scripture talking to a crowd, he's talking to the crowd. When we see him talking to his followers, he's talking to his followers. Right? And so for us to hear what Jesus has to say to us, we have to first Listen over here, eavesdrop, if you will, what he is saying to his original audience. And so with all of that, you might think there are some real challenges to listening to Jesus. Maybe it's impossible to hear what he wants for us to hear. But we Christians believe that God does still speak today. And that through the presence of the Holy Spirit, we have the ability to hear and to understand what he's saying. Like that's a core tenet of our Christian beliefs. God is speaking, and through the presence of the Holy Spirit, we can hear what God is saying. So if we believe that God is still speaking to us, that God's Spirit gives us the ability to hear and understand, why is it so hard to know what God is calling us to do? Why do we struggle to hear with confidence the words that God has to say to us? Why is it difficult to know what God is up to? And so this is what I end up telling people who are wondering what God is saying to them or where the voice of God is. I don't have the, what you see in the front, I don't see in the back, so I have to make sure. Um, our lives are filled with all kinds of voices and distractions. And they compete for our attention and they compete for our allegiance. The world is a noisy place. It's full of voices and distractions that are competing for our attention. So yes, Jesus still wants to speak to us today. God is still speaking today. But there are so many other voices speaking as well. There's so many voices. There's so much noise. There's so many distractions. There's so many other things that can get our attention. 
And some of these other voices are really, really loud. Some of them are major distractions. Some of these voices connect with our fears, our insecurities. They speak to our sense of inadequacy. They live in our head. They echo. Some of these voices connect with our sense of shame or sense of guilt. Some of these voices are are shouting truth from their perspective, inviting us to follow them. God wants us to follow Jesus, to let his voice shape us and disciple us, but these other voices want us to follow them, to be discipled by them, to let those words shape us. And so the the reality is today that yes, Jesus is speaking and calling us to be his follower and and inviting us to follow in his will for our lives, but we are at risk of being discipled and being led by teachers other than Jesus. Our lives are at risk of being shaped and formed by things besides Jesus. One of those things is just internal, it's ourselves. We might be shaped or led by fear. We might be shaped and led by our sense of ambition. We might be shaped and led by insecurity, maybe by confusion, maybe by outrage. Like something inside of us leads us away from Jesus. There's voices inside our heads that shout at us louder than the words of God do. Another voice could be the voice of friends or family. Sometimes friends and family are are wonderful benefits to have that can be words of encouragement and support. Sometimes they can lead you where they want you to go. Sometimes generational uh, harm can be passed from one to the next because, because family becomes more important than the word of God. Friends maybe don't want you to give up something Maybe don't want you to, to follow what God is saying because it's going to cost them something. I'm not trying to pick on friends. There's just, these are voices that are part of your everyday lives that can lead us away from Jesus. Our culture has a, a clearly defined definition of success that can lead us away. Like we might hear that more than we hear what Jesus is calling us to do. From the time I was in kindergarten, we had career day. Every year, we'd have a whole week and and I'd have to draw a picture of what I wanted to be when I grew up. And I'll tell you now that what I drew on those pictures had nothing to do with what what God was calling me to do. My plans, my ambition, my goals, my dreams didn't line up with what God was calling me to be or calling me to do. Sometimes it's our community that we're in. Sometimes the the voice, the demands, the the noise in our community is louder than the word of God. And so maybe it makes more sense to go along with what everybody else is doing, to participate in in what our neighbors are doing, than to, to listen for what Jesus is saying. And then here comes the the obvious ones that everybody's probably been waiting for me to get to, but Politics, those are voices that speak into our lives, that are shouting way louder than the quiet, still voice of the Holy Spirit does. 
uh, an identity of uh, being on a team, participating in some sort of battle, struggle for control, for power, for, for our team to win, that can push out the voice of Jesus. Entertainment, comfort, being distracted, like you can be professionally distracted now. Like you don't have to ever sit quietly. You don't have to ever be bored. My kids say that they're bored to me like I'm somehow going to, like that's the worst thing that could happen to you. (laughs) I would love to be bored. Entertainment is everywhere and it can keep our attention from focusing on what Jesus is trying to say to us. Social media, you hear all this talk about algorithms. All that is is, is a, the computer pays attention to what gets your attention and then feeds you more of it. <laughs> if something makes you mad, if you rage tweet at somebody because they said something you don't agree with, you're gonna keep seeing that person's tweets. If you start engaging with people that you disagree with or that, they, that cause you to be afraid of something, it'll keep showing you that more and more. It manufactures a response because that they've monetized that. You being upset, you being angry makes somebody else money. And so that voice shouts louder, and it's not even fair. I mean, you've got people investing billions of dollars to try and get inside your head. Um, and then technology, just the immediacy of technology. Um, I can pull out my phone at any time and go anywhere. And sometimes God speaks in the quiet. And sometimes we have to sit quietly and listen for a long time before all the other noise in our lives gets out of the way. And having a phone in my pocket, I'm never, I never have to be in silent. I never have to be disconnected. I never have to be unplugged. So technology brings voices right to us. So what you may have noticed in that list, and I'm sure there's others, but in that list of things that are talking to us, the voices that are all around us, the, that shape us, is that those things are everywhere. They're all around us, your family, your friends, the, the political environment, the culture, the community, technology, uh, social media, like it's everywhere. We are products of a world driven by consumption, by division, by fear, uh, by desires, by attempts to feel good. We live lives that have voices speaking to us almost nonstop. Like if I wake up at three o'clock in the morning, I can, I can go argue with somebody about politics online at three o'clock in the morning if I wanted to. These voices are everywhere we go. Even our own internal voice that has been shaped by the world around us goes with us. It leads us down paths we'd rather not go down. I say all of that to say this today. I believe that God is at work in our church and that God is at work in each and every one of our lives. I 100% believe that, otherwise I wouldn't be here as pastor. I believe that God is up to something and our job as Christ followers, as the church, as the body of Christ is to see and to hear what God is doing and then to respond to it. If you believe that too, if you agree that God is up to something in our church and in our lives, then our first job, the first response to that, listen to him. If you believe that Jesus is Lord, if you believe Jesus is King, Savior of all, if he's the Messiah, the Son of God, 
then we listen to him. But how can we respond if we can't hear him? The question for us today boils down to this. How do we hear Jesus? How do we hear Jesus? In a world filled with voices and distractions and and all kinds of noise, how do we hear the voice of God? How do we know what God is saying to us? That answer honestly has a lot to do with the choices that we can make. And so the invitation for today, as we we kind of wrap up this this Transfiguration Sunday, but it's also a transition into a season of Lent, preparing for Easter, the, the invitation for us today is to choose to make room for the voice of God in your life through worship, through participation in the community of faith, and through Christian service. Right, this is how you hear Jesus. I mean, it would be awesome if you could flip on the radio, open an app, and like have the voice of Jesus just like audible in your ear. But for 2,000 years, this is how Christians have heard Jesus speaking. Through worship, participation in the community of faith, that's life of the church, and through serving others. If you're a parent but never asked your kid, how is school? <laughs> how would you know what was going on with them? If you're, uh, if you're married but never call, text, email, or have a face-to-face conversation with your spouse, how would you ever know what's going on in their life? If you never spent time in conversation, time together, how would you ever hear from them? And it's more true, especially in our busy lives, even as you have to schedule time, put it on a calendar, make sure your certain conversations happen. There was a time in Jessica and I marriage where life was so busy that we had a calendar that had different colors of when we were going to be home, and there was like two days a month where those colors lined up. And like, we're going to have, we're going to have a conversation that day. Um, life is busy. I mean, there's a lot of distractions. There's a lot of responsibilities. There's a lot of stuff going on. And sometimes you have to choose to make room for that voice. You have to go looking for it. And the same is true for hearing from God. Choose to make room for the voice of God in your life through worship, through participation in the church, and through Christian service. And this is why, and we put the next slide up, this is why you've seen this the last several weeks, and you will continue to see this <laughs> until you like see it in your sleep. The invitation for us as Christians, the definition of being a disciple, of being a follower of Jesus, is somebody who loves God through worship, who loves others through connection and Christian fellowship and community, and who serves others by serving the church and serving in our community. This is, this is not only just a, a cool little logo or a, you know, a brand uh, image or a, a catchphrase, but this is what we're, we're wrapping our arms around saying, this is in these things is how we will hear what God is calling us to be and to do. Worship, it, it means more than singing, it means prayer. It means reading our Bible, devotional time, listening to sermons, study. Worship means generosity, it means God has blessed you with stuff so we bless God, others in return with those things that God has given us to be stewards over. We worship with our physical possessions. Worship includes communion, sitting around a table and receiving uh, the blessings, the mercy (laughs) that God has prepared for us. We sit at a table 
with others. And like I said, worship can be singing. Um, That's not to be understated. Um, Participation in the community of faith, the connect element, the, the love others element, that's Sunday gathering, like you're here this morning. Some have joined us online. You've, you've come together. Um, that can be groups and classes, Sunday school, small groups, connect groups, right? Shared meals together. And not just huge all-church potlucks, but I know that probably after church today, some of you are going to go have meals with each other. That's participation in the life of the faith community. That's living life together with others, Doing life together is kind of the, the phrase. In, those, in that and through that, you will see and hear Jesus. And service, finding ways to have conversations with God as we go about our everyday lives. We will see and hear what God is up to when we are willing to do uh, what Jesus is calling us to do when we serve others. And so I'm inviting you this, the, today and as we go into Lent to find ways to bring these elements into your everyday life. Um, Wednesday is Ash Wednesday. Um, I haven't made a big deal about it yet because I honestly didn't have my plans put together yet. Um, but in a few days, we will, we will observe Ash Wednesday and it begins the season of Lent in the church. Ash Wednesday is a day in which we um, acknowledge, recognize our own mortality, our own limitations, our own vulnerabilities. We, uh, we will gather together, as, as Jessica made the announcement, just kind of two different windows of time on Wednesday, um, between 11.30 and 1.30, and then again 4.30 to 6.30. You can come, and there'll be a, a station set up to receive ashes. Um, there'll be a station set up for communion. There'll be a station set up to read some scripture and a station to pray. And what Ash Wednesday represents is, a, is an acknowledgement, a beginning of the season of Lent where we set things aside to focus I'm being able to hear God better, to lay down things that are getting in the way, to silence things that are too noisy by turning off things that show up at the wrong times. And so for the entire season of Lent, uh, we're gonna partner with, with Hope Church of Nazarene and Pastor Will and have a series uh, of sermons that look at spiritual practices. How can we hear God better? How can we draw closer to him? And sometimes it's adding things. Sometimes it might be, oh, do this thing, make this a habit, but sometimes it might be letting go of something. It might be turning off something. It might be removing something from the equation. And so the decision for us, the invitation for us today is to choose to make room for the voice of God in your life through worship, through participation in the life of the church, and through Christian service. Not because they're religious things to check off your list, not because you, know, you can say you're a good person if you do these things, but because they allow you to hear the voice of God. The scripture today says, this is the Son of God, this Jesus. Listen to them. Listen to him. Hear him. So choose to make room for that voice. Commit to worship. Commit to fellowship, commit to service. In those things and through those things, you will see and hear Jesus. Let me lead us in a time of prayer as we conclude this message and prepare for a time of response.